But again, if you are lending your crypto out to a centralized platform, now we are at this point where there's actually countries that have started utilizing Bitcoin as legal tenants. It's a way to earn additional yield on your crypto. You can see Bitcoin drop 30% of those things. In that moment in Miami, I thought to myself, this is really interesting because what you are doing with Coinberry is really remarkable. Remember in 2018, that was a massive problem. It's a way to earn additional yield on your crypto. And Evan had this idea of all of us just buying Bitcoin. We're actually going to be giving away a ticket to Bitcoin 2022. Andre, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast today. Uh, before getting into it, if you're out there and you're listening to this episode right now uh, and you like this video, subscribe to the channel and leave a quick comment, we're actually going to be giving away a ticket to Bitcoin 2022 in April next year. So remember to like, comment, and subscribe to this channel to be entered in to win that ticket. It's currently going for over $1,000, but I'm sure that the price is going to go up by the time the conference starts. Uh, and back to you, Andre. What you are doing with Coinberry is really remarkable. I'm really excited to hear more about the project, your journey up until now, and then really digging into what you're seeing on the front lines and really sharing what's going on with everyone who's listening. So. The floor is yours. Awesome. Well, thanks. Um, this is funny you mentioned Bitcoin 2022 because uh, I was in Miami for the Bitcoin 2021 um, in, in, in the spring. And uh, it was quite vibrant. It was quite a good, uh, it was good vibe. Lots of people. Uh, the speakers were really good. So I'm not affiliated with them at all, but it was a really cool conference. So I'm going to give some, uh, some PR, some free PR <laughs> alongside you. Well, well we're going to have to link yeah. up while, while you're down there. You got to make sure you make it out there for Bitcoin 2022. It's funny because, you know, consensus back in, um, back in uh, the one that takes place in New York, the consensus conference, uh, that was massive. I remember in 2018, that was a massive conference. And I remember 2019, 2020 kind of like died off a little bit, but it, it seems that Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin conference is actually picking up. So it's good to see. That's all, but, but thanks for having me on the show. So do you want me to just kind of uh, go through the Coinbase story or do you want to, do you have any other questions you want to ask me or just, just start around? Uh, well, what I'd, I'd really be curious to hear about is, how Coinberry started and then how you really went. And it sounds like Coinberry has a very good relationship with the, with the regulators. You guys are doing things by the book. And I mean, I'm personally also just very curious what that whole process was like, how you went about doing it. Uh, because I think that for crypto to really become adopted and go mainstream, there is a line that you have to toe in terms of making sure that you're keeping the regulators informed, you're doing everything in a compliant way and making sure that you can serve the users uh, in the best way possible. So really curious to hear your story, how Coinberry has grown up until now and how you navigated that landscape. All right, awesome, awesome. So, <clears throat> I mean, I'll start off by um, uh, sort of explaining what Coinberry is. And, and Coinberry is uh, at the current time, um, one of the biggest crypto trading platforms in Canada, arguably the most, you know, the safest and more secure in Canada providing providing a, an opportunity for Canadians to have safe, secure, and convenient exposure to about 18 coins that we currently offer, including, you know, the main staples such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. So when we started the company, so I'm, I'm one of the co-founders, I am the CEO. Of, uh, when we started the project back in mid-2017, the, the space was a little bit different than it is now. And, and you have to actually rewind back even further as to how did the kind of the concept and idea for Coinbase come about. Uh, and that takes us to um, really early 2017. And so this is, the, this is the story of how that sort of my um, my foray into, into crypto and earnest began because I had heard about Bitcoin 
sort of, um, you know, several years earlier, just at events and parties, people, people started talking about it, but it was super on the ground back then. And, and I just, I found, I found the concept fascinating, but I didn't do much with it back in like, let's say 2015. And then fast forward early 2017, uh, myself and my business partner, um, Evan, um, we were down in Miami for, for a bachelor party. Uh, so we had some friends who um, were US based and we had a bunch of us that came down from Canada and, um, and on the last day, it was like a three or four day trip. On the last day of the trip, um, we were on the beach and we had to settle debts to each other. Um, and believe it or not, it's actually very difficult to transfer money as a Canadian to an American, unless you do it through a wire or, or you do it through cash. Um, but there's no like there's no Venmo that goes across both um, countries. And like we have e-transfers in Canada that, that doesn't exist in the US. So, um, so you can't e-transfer. And so... Basically, we had a choice of either going to an ATM machine and trying to find an ATM machine to get cash and just settle that way. Or, and Evan had this idea of all of us just buying Bitcoin um, and settling in Bitcoin. So we spend the afternoon, you know, signing up for you know, Coinbase accounts and, um, and, 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 you know, buying the Bitcoin and settling our debts that way, which in hindsight was probably the worst decision of my life. <laughs> I should have just kept on to that Bitcoin. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, but in that moment, I had a, a really interesting sort of epiphany and an aha moment where I thought, this is really interesting. So, you know, we're just a bunch of regular guys on a beach um, and we found this unique, or maybe not so unique, but this very um, uh, basic use case for Bitcoin specifically and for blockchain, which is cross-border remittance, right? I mean, that's what we did in essence. And I had been previously involved in, um, in a business which, which, which had a lot of international shipment um, as part of its business model. So there was a lot of um, payment of goods cross-border and if anybody's been in that sort of uh, cross-national shipment industry, they know that, um, you know, when you have a container um, at customs and you're waiting for customs to clear and you're waiting for wire to land for the customs to clear, and it's a long weekend and you have that container stuck at customs for four days, the like the, the actual just warehousing fees are quite expansive. And so I thought, and I mean, this is a side sort of context, the side story, but in that moment in Miami, I thought to myself, this is really interesting because you know, we're just a bunch of regular guys who found a use case, but my God, what's going to happen when you have big industry really realize the potential of the application of blockchain to the financial markets and financial instruments, right? And the application of blockchain and crypto to cross-border settlement, right? Of instantaneous settlement of, of goods and services and, and payments. And, um, and that's when I really thought to myself, there is really something here that's going to be massive and um, you know, it may not happen overnight, it may not happen over a year, but eventually it will happen. And when it does, like this is going to change the way that as a society, we really interact with one another um, from a financial perspective. So anyway, we came back to Canada. Well, I came back to Canada. Um, I had a corporate job, so I went back to my corporate job. Um, and then a couple of months later, my, my friend and also my, my business partner and co-founder, Evan, calls me up and he says, hey, we, we have this idea to start a crypto business. And back then in Toronto, and, and this was around uh, like May, June um, 2017, back then Toronto was like a bustling hub of just energy as it pertained to crypto. You had a whole bunch of projects, you had meetups taking place, you had people just congregate and, and just talk sort of crypto project, the ICO craze was going on. And one of those spots in the city where people would congregate was actually Evans Condo. So at any point in time, it was, it was, it was an awesome atmosphere because at any point in time, you'd walk in there and you'd have like 15, 20 people, just, you know, somebody's in the, in one of the bedrooms, they set up a trading desk, somebody's trading there. You know, you got people in the kitchen, like talking crypto projects, you have people in the living room, just 
discussing ICOs and and it was really it was almost like bohemian in nature because it was so fluid people would just come and go and um and so that's like one of those sessions is where the idea of coinbury was born and that idea was to create a platform and to create a, a service which allowed um, canadians simple and intuitive way to buy and get exposure to crypto something that even our grandparents could use because back then it was very very hard to actually get into the space you'd either have to meet somebody at a coffee shop um you know and pay them cash to to get uh, you know to buy bitcoin or you'd have to wait you know you have to wait for ages to onboard on a platform and and it just it wasn't it was hard to fund those platforms it was just you know it was super expensive it was just not conducive to mass adoption at all it was a very fringe kind of industry so to speak and the services were quite French. So we saw a market opportunity. We saw an opportunity to build a business which sort of did things properly, which catered to the simplicity and the need for simplicity and intuitive sort of interface and service for people to really not necessarily understand the underlying technology of how things work, but be able to have exposure to the to the asset class itself. So I ended up quitting my corporate job and just, uh, you know, one of those uh, went all in on a startup uh, that was bootstrapped. Um, put a little bit of our own money in, um, you know, moved into a dinky little office, um, worked out of that office for about half a year, then got our first uh, sort of angel money, a couple hundred thousand dollars, and that allowed us to move into a nicer office. And then we started, you know, growing the team. But we always had that vision to be very, very strictly aligned with, with the regulation that existed at the time. Um, we were one of the first crypto platforms to actually uh, become registered with FinTrack, which um, for your um, U.S. audience uh, is the equivalent of FinCEN in Canada. So we were one of the first platforms to, to register with FinTrack. And back, so this is in, in like late in the 2017 and then early 2018, we actually approached the Ontario Securities Commission. And at first, it was a very preliminary discussion. It was just like, hey, um, you know, we here we are, we're this new company um we have a, a really unique way of approaching this industry you know a lot of people that just did things by the sort of the seat of their pants and um and we decided to do things very systematically you know with a focus on policies procedures controls um and uh, and so here we are and we want to have a chat about how we can potentially you know register with you in the future because we had the foresight to to realize that the industry is going to get regulated at the end of the day um to, to some extent or another and so we we kind of just front ran that and this was three years ago actually real quick to jump in there um could you talk a little bit about um well maybe break it down the parallels between fincen and uh what was it fintrack in canada and talk about really what that regulatory body's purpose is what they do and what you guys need to do in working with them just to dig into a little bit more of those details. Yeah, so FinTrack is um, the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada. Like the parallel to draw is they're like the Canadian equivalent of FinCEN. So they monitor the movement of money in Canada and they make sure that uh, money isn't being laundered. They make sure that, um, you know, the, the proper, the, the companies that are registered with them have the proper KYC, so know your client and anti-money laundering controls in place. And um, and so registering with Fantrack uh, required us to uh, make sure that we are able to identify the users in our platform. We're able to KYC them to make sure that there's no um, there's no money laundering that takes place in our platform. And it also allowed us to get our banking. So it, 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 it was a it was a sort of a prerequisite back back 2017 to actually even get any sort of banking in Canada. And so the way it works is, so we have FinCEN, FinTrack, right, um, which is more pertaining to money service businesses and the movement of fund, of, of cash or movement of money. 
And then in Canada, we have like, so in the States, there's the, there's the SEC, right? Which is a federal body. And in Canada, we, we don't have a federal body that governs the securities industry. What we have is commissions that exist in each province and territory. So for example, um, Coinberry is based in Toronto, uh, which is in the province of Ontario. So we have the Ontario Securities Commission, which governs all the securities um, businesses in Ontario. And so each province has their own commission. And then all the provinces come together into what's known as the Canadian Securities Administrators, which is not a federal body. It's more like a roundtable sort of um, organization where each, uh, each of the provinces has uh, an ability to uh, showcase and, and discuss with everybody, with all the other provinces, you know, bring projects like Point Bay Fourth uh, to, to, um, to get registered. But we don't have a federal sort of securities overseer in Canada. So that's the difference between between the US and Canada. So when you know in 2018, when we approached um, the, the Ontario Securities Commission, um, our goal was to to register with uh, you know with them as as our primary regulator. But ultimately, of course, we were looking to get registered across all the provinces and all the territories. Um, so that journey with them took took a took a while. It took about three years, and um, it uh, you know it started with just uh, just high level discussions. Then there. It, it sort of advanced to site visits. They, they visited our office a number of times. We walked them through all of our, again, our, like our controls, our policies, our procedures, all the insurances we have in place, how we custody funds to make sure that uh, they got to a place where they were comfortable with, with us as a business model. You know, they did the, the background on, on myself and all the staff. So there was a lot of um, due diligence that was done to make to, to get them to a comfortable point with the company and, and to also make sure that we were you know we were sticking around for uh, like we're not a you know an overnight sort of uh, company that's that's going to fold you know, here today and not you know gone tomorrow and so in late 2020 um, we actually submitted our sort of official application because everything prior to that was just sort of discussions so the way it works is they. Uh, they, once we officially submitted, they brought us forth in front of the CSA, in front of the Canadian Securities Administrators, where we presented uh, and again talked about the Coinberry sort of vision, the, the model, and uh, again walked all of the provincial regulators through our, uh, you know, again all the policies, the procedures, the controls, the insurances, the custody that we have in place, and got all of them comfortable with with what we we're, you know, what we were aiming to do. And ultimately, at any point in time, um, you know, any of the provinces could have opted out and said, no, we don't want Coinbase registered in our particular province. But we are very happy to say that, um, you know, we re- did receive registration uh, across all the provinces and territories in Canada, which was, you know, phenomenal. But that process in and of itself, like I presented in January, and we only got registered in, in August. So, you know, that took another eight months of just, again, answering questions and questions and questions and making sure that everybody was comfortable with, with the business. And then in late August, we became the first sort of pure play crypto company born of the industry, like, you know, true startup to actually receive our registration with Ontario Securities Commission and, and exactly believe across the, the, entire, the entire country. And we were the first to actually allow our users to both fund with um, Canadian dollars and crypto, but also withdraw Canadian dollars and crypto from the platform to get registered as well. So uh, it was a phenomenal, um, you know, success for us to get to that point. And we were, you know, extremely happy to have finally after three years, um, you know, achieved that goal. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, a lot, a, a lot of work to to actually be able to go and offer what you guys are working on. And so where you guys are today, you've gone through that whole process, you've 
had a close relationship speaking with these different regulators. You've raised some additional angel capital to bring you guys to go through to where you are today. So what are really the big next steps that you see for the company and, um, and as well as more uh, broadly speaking than just the company, uh, the crypto industry within Canada? Um, and then following off of that, we can t- dive into how Canada is different than some of the other countries out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, we, we, we have, you know, the whole process of becoming regulated and, and registered um, at its core has the invested interest in mind, right? Everything that we put in place, again, I talk about the policies and procedures and all the controls and all the insurances and the custody is all done such that when, when, when an individual invests in Coinbase, they know that their assets are safe. They know their assets are secure. Um, and they know that, you know, there's a regulator overseeing um, how the company ultimately functions and operates to make sure that investor assets are safe and secure. So I want to make sure that, you know, it's like the reason why we went through the regulated process or the registration process um, is because at its core, that you know, at its very sort of essence, that is exactly what we want to achieve. We want to achieve safety and security for our for our clients and our users, right? And again, and, and to and to sort of balance that with uh, the convenience of using a platform which is you know available on the web on the you know on apple on android and and ultimately to balance those two right because and this is going to be sort of uh, my lead into your second part of your question because ultimately with regulatory oversight with safety and security you will eventually get mass adoption you will not get mass adoption without having safety security convenience and regulatory oversight in an industry that such as ours i, I strongly believe that you will always have individuals that are, you know, that like to push the boundary. You're going to have users that are early adopters. You're going to have, um, you know, early innovators that are that are going to always, you know, be creating new new, new technologies and going to be very open to experiencing and, and new technologies and, and new products themselves. But when it comes to the masses, people need safety, people need security, and people need convenience. What I believe is going to happen in this industry in Canada going forward is ultimately we are going to see uh, you know enforcement from regulators continue. I mean, we already have the Ontario Securities Commission start enforcement actions on on certain international crypto exchanges that were operating in Canada, you know, without being registered. We've seen you know we've seen Binance leave the Ontario market, uh, Qcoin left the Ontario market as well because uh, because of the enforcement actions that uh, the OSC had commenced. Um, and, and so ultimately, I think that's, and, and in the long term, I think that's to the benefit of Canadian investors and Canadian residents, because you do want platforms that have a, a certain level of controls and policies and procedures in place. Um, and if you don't, these platforms are here today and not here tomorrow. That's what's going to happen, no matter how big they are. I mean, we've had some massive exchanges that have been, um, you know, have been hacked, that have gone under in, in Canada and internationally. You know, we had we had some pretty bad experiences in the Canadian um, crypto space with you know some exchanges that folded and you know, made a pretty bad name um, for sort of for the industry. So I think it's very important for us to turn that page. And I'm happy to to see other platforms you know get registered in Canada as well. And ultimately, I think what that's going to result in is a consolidation in the in, in, in industry in Canada. You are going to have smaller players that are simply not going to be able to get to that level of uh, operational um, sort of uh, maturity that they need to be at in order to continue operating and to be registered. And, and you're going to see a roll up in the industry. You're going to see consolidation. Uh, you know, companies such as Coinbase and, and others that are at that level are going to slowly amalgamate uh, and, um, you know, and acquire the smaller players. And you're going to see, uh, you know, 
a handful of, of, of more sort of mature companies remain. But I think that's very good because with platforms that are regulated, with mature platforms that are available, you're going to see more um, institutional interest as well. Because there's a lot of institutional interest that's currently sitting on the sidelines that, uh, you know, that they have mandates to only operate with or work or invest through, uh, you know, regulated and registered platforms. And until, until recently, they haven't had an opportunity to do that. So, you know, with a, coin, with a company such as Coinbury that's now able to offer, uh, you know, a registered platform that's safe and secure for institutional investors, I think you'll have more of that interest as well. Yeah. And that actually brings up an interesting question of what happens to all those users out there who are operating or have funds on these different exchanges that might not have gone and um, gone through the the different processes of being um, getting the approvals, being as regulated as a company like Coinberry. Like, how does that progress? Because, I mean, I'm sure that some of the listeners out there uh, could be located in Canada and might be customers are holding their funds on these different exchanges. I mean, do you have any sense of what might happen as uh, as the industry progresses within Canada and how those people who are holding funds and doing trading currently in this industry in Canada, how it affects them? Well, you know, I'll, I'll give you my personal experience. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of platforms in the news right now, especially in the U.S., that are being hit with, um, you know, various levels of enforcement action by various um, uh, state agencies. Um, you know, I think Celsius was recently hit, you know, BlockFi, I think, as well. And ultimately, I can tell you that having gone through this process, I personally only trust platforms that are registered now. Like, I've, I've taken my, fund, my own crypto funds off of, you know, platforms that are not registered that offer uh, services that, are, that Coinbase doesn't offer because obviously, you know, I'm not going to go trade with somebody else. Uh, but, you know, services that Coinbase doesn't offer and uh, that I've been using, I've removed my own funds from platforms that are registered because I know what goes into becoming registered. I know the level of maturity and the controls that have to be put in place in order to attain that status. And to me, if a company is not at that, not at that place in their sort of life cycle, there's a risk, right? And ultimately, you're talking about risk. And that, that takes me back to what I was um, originally talking about, which is, investor interest. Everything that we do is to keep investor interest in mind. And so it, it, it becomes a question of how much risk are you willing to be exposed to? You know, we have massive platforms out there, such as Binance, that just started getting hit with legal actions around the world. Um, and the question is, you know, are you willing to, as an individual, I mean, is there a way to bypass, um, you know, IP and, you know, restrictions through VPN? Of course there is. Of course there is. But at the end of the day, you're just exposing yourself to more risk. Trading with a platform which isn't registered, right? Which just which hasn't which hasn't gone through the level of scrutiny that somebody like Coinbase has, has gone through. And ultimately, I mean, you know, people have different risk appetites, so you know, not for me to judge. Uh, but as long as people are aware of the risks involved, I think at that point in time they can take the decision they want. Yeah, I, I really want to hear your opinion on on this question. It's been something that I've been thinking about more recently, especially as you brought up their their actions being brought against certain companies where you can earn interest on your crypto, things like BlockFi, Celsius, et cetera. And when you look at this, this happening and you see investors who are going and trying to earn additional yield by leaving their crypto in an interest-bearing account, and then you have some other investors such as Michael Saylor, for example, who are not for those types of interest-bearing accounts and would much rather just keep the crypto secure not be taking on uh, additional interest earnings, but feels more comfortable with the protection of that crypto. What's your take on all of this? Because I know that 
right now out there, there are a lot of people who are going and earning additional crypto from these interest-bearing accounts. But simultaneously, you see some of those companies being cracked down on by different regulators. I mean, what do you view as the risks in utilizing these interest-bearing accounts? Are there any companies out there that you think have done the work that's needed to be able to trust them with interest-bearing accounts? Uh, Because that's something that I'd be really interested in as well, always trying to go and earn additional yield, but really understanding where those risks lie. And if you are a customer that has your funds in one of these interest-bearing accounts, what are you open to? What are worst case scenarios? It's a very loaded, uh, multi-layered question, but just here, would love to hear you talk through all those different pieces. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, I think there's, in terms of earning, sort of creating passive wealth from your crypto, right? But, you know, through some of those platforms that exist out there, um, that's a centralized platform, right? So they have a lending book. They, 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 in essence, lend out your crypto. They own interest from the individual that's borrowing it. They take a bit, they share the rest with you. So there's, that's one way of doing it, right? The other way is doing it through staking, right? So, I mean, staking is also a passive way to create, you know, wealth from your crypto. And to me personally, um, you know, staking obviously has its own pitfalls as well. Uh, but as all things blockchain based, um, I find staking to be a, a potentially potentially a safer way to create passive wealth. And I'll explain why I have that position. Um, at the end of the day, when, when you lend your crypto through a centralized platform, um, they have a book, they have a lending book. They have borrowers. I mean, think, if you think about it logically, the only way they can pay you an interest is if somebody pays them an interest for borrowing your crypto. Like there's no, there's no magical other way, right? That's exactly how banks pay you interest on deposits on your account is they lend it out. Now, putting forth banks as an example is probably the worst thing because we've seen what happens with you know over collateralized you know debt. Um, but if you take that approach and you and you and you think about the centralized platforms in the crypto space that allow this, if there's no mechanism to verify. Um, how much due diligence these platforms put into the borrowers of the of the crypto that they are lending to? If there is no way to verify how collateralized those those loans are, if there's no transparency in any of those things, and if there's no regulatory oversight, you really are putting your hands in the faith of the people that are actually running these centralized platforms. Um, and I know that's a rich thing for me to say, considering we just got registered, you know, two months ago. Um, but we are currently registered, so I can say those things because we do have regular over- oversight now. And up to that point, yeah, it was the same thing. People were putting their, you know, their funds in faith and into our systems, into our professionals, into the way we run our business. But again, if you are lending your crypto out to a centralized platform that has no regulatory oversight, that has no transparency about how they actually operate and, and manage their, their loan book, there's a risk in that. I mean, the risk is that the, the, there's going to be a default on the on the debt, right? And the, the risk is that somebody will not, their borrowers will not pay the crypto, right? That's the most basic risk uh, back uh, under certain circumstances. So I think, you know, for me personally, I feel a lot safer putting, you know, my crypto into um, or locking it up and, and, you know, and staking it. than I do lending it through centralized platforms. I have a lot more faith, let's put it into, into the blockchain technology and the code than I do in the people uh, running any business whatsoever. I mean, it, it's it's a very pessimistic outlook on things, but it is what it is. And I should be told now that I'm thinking it out loud, out loud. You know, we've had failures. You know, in terms of the technology as well. I mean, we've had cases where uh, you know bugs have been found and exploited. There's no one answer that fits all. Right? There's no foolproof way of going about things. I think it, at the end of the day, it comes to personal preference and personal risk uh, profile. But 
as I mentioned, after all those sort of uh, enforcement actions started taking place and after, uh, I think there was a point where BlockFi uh, lost something like $10 million, I just said, oh my, I don't know about this until, 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 until that aspect of the industry matures a little bit more, I'm just going to keep everything in a cold wall. Yeah. I, and that's, that's a very good point. I mean, when you think about, there's a staking aspect, there's a centralized aspect. Hearing you talk through it, it, it was interesting because it almost came back to the ethos of uh, Bitcoin, just having the ability to have self-sovereignty, the ability to really control and be your own bank. That phrase, not, not your keys, not your crypto. Um, it does in the end give people crypto and Bitcoin and uh, self-custody. It really gives people the ability to be their own bank, uh, run their own node and take on whatever level of responsibility they want to take on. And it's interesting just seeing all the, the different options out there. I mean, you have regulated platforms, other platforms that might not be regulated. You have the ability to go and hold your own keys and your own crypto. You have the ability to go and stake. Hearing you talk about staking, could you talk a little bit just to that in more depth for people out there who are listening? Because staking is a term that's thrown around a lot. And people, I think, generally understand that it's a way to earn additional yield on your crypto or whatever digital assets you're holding. But when you actually go and put that into practice, what are some ways in which you've seen people go and earn additional yield through staking? Are there any particular platforms or protocols or I guess ways in which you've seen it done in the past? I mean, look, there's a, there's a number of different projects out there, right? I mean, you know, starting with obviously the most popular one is ETH, um, you know, staking for, you know, so um, I, I don't want to go on record and, and you know promote one platform or another one technology or another one blockchain or another because again ultimately and to that point none of the you know opinions shared on the on this podcast um, are investment advice uh, they're just my personal opinions but I, I don't want to I want to avoid going on record and, and promoting any specific platform or any specific solution because uh, just by virtue of there's a lot of projects that are that are currently in development. Um, that are in different levels of maturity as well. And ultimately, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing and have somebody uh, get wiped out. Yeah, no, completely fair, completely fair. So changing gears a little bit to a broader outlook, we've been talking a lot about the Canada, about Canada and the United States, but in terms of how you see the space maturing on a global scale, you're witnessing right now a funny sort of game theory experiment playing out where Countries are faced with the decision, are you going to promote crypto within your borders? Are you going to sit on the sidelines? Are you going to actively deter the growth of this industry? And there are some countries out there that are trying to heavily promote it. And then some others on the other end of the spectrum, like China, who really are against the growth of crypto um, and even going as far as shutting down the mining industry, which was thriving within their borders. So... From your perspective, when you're looking at it, how do you think that this all plays out? And if you could also give some sort of idea of the time frames and how long certain things take to play out, I'd be really interested to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think what's happening in, in China specifically is uh, you know the Chinese government wants to um, wants to continue to maintain a, a tight control over um, you know over their financial system and. Bitcoin and crypto uh, currencies in general, right? They're decentralized and they provide paths to financial freedom, right? And by definition, that's contrary to the centralization policies um, of, of the Chinese government, right? So, I mean, you know, we've also seen China ban, you know, Facebook, Google, and Twitter. So, you know, Snapchat and, and all of all of those projects and companies have gone on 
you know, it's a great success. And there's news about China banning Bitcoin that come out every year. Like if you go, I think it's like the sixth time they've uh, they've banned Bitcoin. And it's funny because if you look at the, the effect of those news back, you know, five, six years ago, like it was massive. You'd see like on, you'd see Bitcoin drop 30% on those news. Uh, what happened two weeks ago, you had Bitcoin drop 5% and rebound at the same day. So I think people are getting a bit fatigued on the one hand um, about, you know, those sort of news. On the other hand, I think it's important to know that, you know, back back about three years ago, something like 75% of all transactions with, with Bitcoin took place in China. Now I think we're down to 49. So you see a uh, globalization of sorts of, of, of Bitcoin where there's a lot less dependency on Chinese miners and on, on the sort of the Chinese populace to sustain the or, or to prop up or to push forward the, um, you know, Bitcoin specifically on the blockchain. And so you see that it has a lot less effect. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, you have countries such as El Salvador that have uh, you know, made Bitcoin legal tender. You have news out of Brazil recently as well that they're looking to legalize Bitcoin as legal tender. Um, the similar news out of Ukraine. So you see a lot more countries that are that are looking quite seriously at you know using Bitcoin as legal tender. And if you look, you know, if you kind of think about it, ten years ago it would have been a, a completely unbelievable point to make that you know in ten years in 2021 you're going to see Bitcoin as legal tender. I mean, hell, even three years ago it would have been unbelievable to make that point. Um, and, you know, back then people were saying, you know, no corporation is going to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And, and, and then, and then you know, big companies started doing that. And, and now we have, a, you know, now we're at this point where there's actual countries that have started utilizing Bitcoin as legal tender. So I think fundamentally there is different, there's obviously each country is going to take their own you know, sovereign. But I think we're at a point now where the technology and Bitcoin specifically have gone beyond the so beyond being affected by any single country's decision, it's a, it's a truly global technology now and a truly global phenomenon. So what I personally believe in is a balanced approach to regulatory oversight. Um, I think we need to have some regulatory oversight to protect investors and to protect the residents of the country that you know the regulator oversees. But on the other hand, it can't be so much that it stifles innovation. At the end of the day, innovation comes from a place of creativity and comes from a place of breaking the rules and pushing the boundaries, right, uh, that exist. And so there has to be room for innovation. Otherwise, you'll never get to a point of, uh, of growth, right, of that nascent growth. Um, and so I think, you know, my, my point of view is that regulators in Canada have taken quite a balanced approach. And, uh, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, I think certain you know, regulators in other countries that have banned Bitcoin, I think is completely nonsensical. And, uh, but, you know, such is their, such is their uh, decision. And, uh, Ultimately, I guess time will tell uh, whether it's the right or the wrong decision. Great. Well, I got one more question, but before we ask it, are there certain areas that anyone who's listening can go and follow you online? Um, yes. Yeah, so um, all our um, social media handles are available on our website, which is uh, www.coinberry.com. That's C-O-I-N-B-E-R-R-Y.com. Uh, you can follow us there, uh, follow our blog, and uh, th th we have a lot of really interesting material there. We have a lot of educational material as well. We believe in the, in, in, um, in educating and giving people the, you know, the necessary information they need uh, to learn about the space, to learn about the technology. And uh, so we have a lot of really great educational stuff on our website that's completely free of charge and accessible and available to, uh, to anybody. Perfect. Well, people should definitely go check that out. And um, also, quick reminder, if you haven't liked, subscribed, and commented on this video yet, Last reminder for this video, you could win an industry pass for Bitcoin 2022 and come and see Andre and I there. So uh, last question for you. Uh, what is 
one belief that you hold to be true that you think the majority of people would disagree with? And that could be crypto related or it doesn't have to be crypto related. It could be, could be anything. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I think, look, I believe that I hold true that I think uh, is not popular with the, with, with the general public. I think would be that the, the creation of value supersedes the creation of, of money. I think that's, uh, or the creation of uh, the acquisition of money. I think that's uh, something that I, that I hold true. Like if I had personally a choice between uh, being involved in a project that creates value for humanity, um, that, that I knew would personally benefit me financially a lot less than, than something, you know, something more lucrative that had very little benefit, I would pick the other And then I think most people would probably want to call my bluff on that, but you know, that's, that's kind of hard. Well, that's great. Thanks again for taking the time to come on. Uh, this has been a lot of fun and we'll have to link up in Miami for Bitcoin 2020. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And thanks for having me on the show. Cheers.